as we continue our study in the epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 from verses 1 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the, one, than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Amen. May God's word bless our hearts and lives. Let us pray together. Oh, our most gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would be open. We thank you that your word is true and sure. We thank you, O Heavenly Father, that you have given it for our blessing and benefit. And we ask now that as it is opened, that indeed your Holy Spirit would apply it to every aspect of our lives. Teach us about Jesus. Teach us about his glory. Teach us about how to give glory back to him and honor do his name. This we ask in his holy name alone. Amen. Well, if you want to get to heaven, you have to shine. You have to shine like a star of heaven. But how can a sinner shine with such glory whose heart and life is not all that it should be before our God? The author of the epistle answers that question for us. This morning, he points us to a great and profound truth that we need to take to heart in our lives. That is, that in a frail and fallen world, our glory can come from Jesus alone. Our glory comes from Jesus. Here in the beginning of chapter 3, the author stamps his foot at his readers and says, Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Therefore, brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. That's a long sentence, a great mouthful, but with two very important words for us to latch on. He tells us that Jesus is our apostle. He's the apostle of our confession as we confess the fact that He is the Son of God who has become incarnate and lived and died for our sins and and has been buried and resurrected for our glory, Jesus is our Apostle. 
Now, we're used to that term being spoken in church, and, and we talk very easily and simply of the 12 apostles. And there were some other apostles of the church as well, James and, and Barnabas and a few others mentioned in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament. But the word apostle has a very interesting root. It means literally in Greek, from the fleet. And the idea here is of a great ship and then a small little dinghy, a small little boat which has someone in it who is leaving the ship and coming to shore or or going to rendezvous with another vessel. From the fleet, Jesus is. That is, He is uh, from the mothership. He's from heaven. He's sent on a mission by His heavenly Father For our blessing and our benefit, He comes to tell us about God. He comes with a message in hand. He comes with a work and duty to do. And so on that mission from His heavenly Father, He has come to save sinners just like you and me. Sinners in need of salvation. Whose lives are not in proper order. Whose days are not lived in glory and honor to God as they ought. He is an apostle to us, someone who has come to our aid with the word and good news of the gospel, which he lives out for us. And the author tells us he is also the high priest of our confession. We confess him to be the one who represents us back to God. Oh, as an apostle, he is from the Father, from God, down to us, to speak to us the words of salvation and to accomplish them by His ministry of giving Himself as a sacrifice on the tree. And in doing that sacrifice, He represents us. He he is our high priest who goes into the temple of God in the heavenlies and presents Himself as the one who is the spotless Lamb of Calvary, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He has taken the guilt and punishment of our iniquity upon His own flesh. And so He represents us before the Father. He is the promised representative and substitute for His people. And so He is able to go and do for us where we cannot go and what we cannot do. So Jesus is the perfect mediator. He is one who comes from God. And He is one who goes back to God. He comes from God to us. And He goes from us back to God as one who is able and has the right not just to plead for mercy, but on the, on the basis of His obedience to request, even to insist, and in righteousness to demand that His sacrifice be applied to our lives. And that we who are sinners, we who have no glory, might find our light in Him. Oh, Jesus is a perfect mediator for you and for me. And you see, you and I need a mediator, don't we? We need a mediator because we're broken and we are sinful as sons and daughters of our first father Adam and our first mother Eve. You know, we all, just, we all sort of look alike. We might look in the mirror and think that uh, we are utterly unique. But you know, we are made in the image of God, each and every one of us here. Uh, We have uh, 
eyes, ears, teeth, and tongues. Uh, We have uh, hands and feet. We give glory to God in our daily living, both inwardly and outwardly. Uh, We reflect something of His glory just by creation. But yet we are rebellious ones. Uh, These great tools, these great instruments, this this wonderful uh, human being that He gives us, we do not always use it and exercise it alone for His glory and our good. Sometimes we misuse Sometimes we do that which He forbids. Other other times we pass over and and turn away from that which He requires. And so both in our action and in our inaction, we find ourselves falling oh so far short. We need someone who can intercede for us, who can stand between us and God because we do not glow and shine as we ought. But He shines as the noonday sun. Even the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim, they do not look upon His face. So we need one who can be in His presence unashamed and one who can come and represent Him to us. We need one who can plead our cares and and also minister to our needs. Oh, the mercy And the grace of God requires a mediator to be shed abroad in our lives. You. You need an apostle. You need a high priest. And God our Father has provided the perfect apostle and high priest of our life and confession. Even in sending His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that He is faithful... And He's faithful to His Father. He is faithful to the Father from whom He has come. Who is Jesus other than the Father's Son, the Son of His love? He said, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. And so He comes not just as someone representing God, but someone representing God who is also God Himself. He is the very Son of God eternal. He comes to us in the fellowship of the triune God. His mind, His will, His heart, never turning away and being divided from that of His heavenly Father. He is divine as well as being human. And the wonderful work as mediator that He does is that He is able to make His Father our Father once again too. Perhaps in your family you've had something... uh, occur maybe presently or in past history that becomes fable and lore when the family has some tragedy strike or or someone gets their nose out of joint and and Aunt Clara won't talk to Aunt Susan or or Uncle Jim doesn't get along with Uncle Bob anymore and so there is this division in the family. That has been our lot of life because our first father Our first father, Adam, and our first mother, Eve, turned their face away from the Heavenly Father. God who walked with them in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. God who had made them, had made them in His image, had breathed the breath of life into our first father, had woven the very fabric of our first mother from the rib, from the rib of our first dad. They turned away from their Creator and their Sustainer. He gave them breath every moment. 
But even as they drew a breath, they did not honor him. But they turned and listened more to the word of Satan than to the word of God. They followed the serpent in his craftiness and deceitful lying rather than following the word of truth and light. And in that moment, the family was torn. We found ourselves alienated from the one who was the maker of our first father and our first mother. And so we have not shown with bright light as we ought. There has been a division in the family. But as mediator, Jesus comes faithfully ministering to us on behalf of His Father. And the amazing thing is that He makes His Father, by His obedience, to once again be our Father as well, if we will but hear Him and but trust Him and but love Him with our whole hearts. Oh, Jesus does His job in complete fidelity and loyalty to His Father. He doesn't do that thing that we sometimes like to be done for someone who is interceding to tell us lies, lies, sweet little lies, to sort of bend words in a way so that every party is reconciled in word but not in truth. Oh, Jesus tells us true truth. He tells us about our Heavenly Father and He tells us about His holiness and and tells us about His light and life and He tells us about our need. He tells us about our brokenness, about our loneliness, about our alienation even from ourselves and, and from one another. He speaks to us without flinching of the darkness of our souls. What God says, He says, What God speaks to us in words of judgment and warning and calling and hope and life, Jesus says, Oh, He is a good mediator who mediates honestly between us and between His heavenly Father so that His Father becomes our Father because we trust His Word. We trust in Him. He gives us that trust and that faith which we so lack in ourselves. And so we consider just this Jesus, the true Jesus, the the Jesus of history, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is God and man both and intercedes and mediates for both God and man. And the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us that only this Jesus gets the glory. Oh, there are glimpses of glory, are there not, in our world? We go out and see the stars at night. And as long as we have our back to the city of Houston, we can see them and they just shine like the noonday sun. There is glory in this world, the glory of God, which declares itself through the natural realm. But it's not a general revelation that the author is here speaking of. He's speaking of the Word of God coming and making an impact in a life. He's speaking about the relationship between God and His people. And He holds up Moses as one who was faithful and had some glory in the way he lived and served in the house of God. But Jesus, Jesus really is the one who gets the glory. 
You see, a comparison is drawn here between Jesus and Moses. And of Moses, that great prophet of the Old Testament, the greatest one of all the prophets, he says in verses 2 to 4 that Moses was a servant. Moses was a servant in the house of God. You remember Moses? He was born to a Jewish slave woman, exiled in Egypt. As a little baby, he was floated down the river in a basket that his life might be spared from those who had been instructed to come and kill Jewish children. And in the providence of God, the little basket was floated right into the arms of a daughter of Pharaoh. And so she raised him. She raised him in her household. He received all the blessings and benefits of the most powerful nation on earth at that time. He got a grand education. He got wonderful robes to wear. He could live in a palace. He could stand and watch over all those under him in the pecking order as they were lorded over by their masters. But he never forgot his roots. He never forgot his people. And he never forgot his God. You see, he was vexed of heart and mind. His, his soul was sore and sick over the way his people were treated. He found himself alienated from the household of Pharaoh and so in the wilderness, tending a few sheep, he met God at the burning bush. God called him as that bush burned and, and burned and was not consumed and it caught his attention and, and his curiosity was pricked and he had to go over and God said, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. This is, this is God speaking to you, the great self-existent one. And so he was given his calling to lead his people out of bondage and into the promised land. Oh, this servant of God, Pharaoh, he was a man of, of great and mighty acts by the power of God. He stared down Pharaoh. Eyeball to eyeball, he spoke to him. He brought plagues upon that man and upon his nation. He brought down frogs and flies and blood in the rivers, death of the firstborn. His God was powerful and he served that God and spoke the word of God as a prophet and it all came true. And then he marched with the glory of Egypt in his possession. Not just slaves, but slaves to whom great gifts had been given for their provision and for their quick exit. And they went out into the wilderness and they went out to the sea. And the staff of God in the hand of Moses broke the waters in two and they walked across on dry land. God fed them. God clothed them. Uh, the shirts on their back did not wear out. God provided water which followed them wherever they needed it, even from the rock which symbolized the great Messiah to come. Oh, He led them to Mount, 
to the mount where they would receive the two tablets of stone, he led them to Sinai, to that place where God would thunder down his commandments to them, where he would take them into his hands, and as a potter he would shape and mold them through the Mosaic law into a peculiar and particular people designed and intended to serve him and him alone as the cradle in which the promised Messiah and Savior would be born. Moses saw the backside of God. Moses' face shined with the glory of God. They had to put a veil over it. No one could stand to see him shine such a way. But as much as his life was filled with the glory of God, Moses, at the end of the day, was what? He was just a servant. He was just a servant. He served God by serving the household of God. Moses was like the butler or the gardener. He just went along with the house. Jesus, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, tells us, Jesus gets the greater glory. For Jesus, verse 3, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is the builder of the house. And Jesus is the Son of the Master, the Son of His Heavenly Father. And so the house which screams of the glory of God the Father is a house which also speaks and declares of the glory of the Son. And there is Moses with gloves on and a pair of clippers in his hands. With a dustpan. With a mop. He... He is but a servant in the house. But the glory shines. The glory surrounds. The glory points to the superior calling and role of the Son. Even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we doubted it, did you note His shift of language? Jesus, consider Jesus. For Jesus is counted of Worthy of more glory than Moses. But Christ is faithful, he says, over God's house as a son. Jesus is the son, and Jesus is also the promised divine Messiah. The one who would come and save his people from their sins. The one through whom the fetters would be thrown off, and they would have fellowship with God forevermore in the new heavens and new earth. Oh, He is the promised Messiah, the promised divine Messiah. And so He gets the ultimate glory because He is God in the flesh. Nobody. Nobody else gets glory like Jesus. But you see, the good news of this passage and of the Gospel is that by faith... By the grace of God and the faith which He gives us, we 
we get the privilege of reflecting some of Jesus' glory too. Jesus is our glory. You see, we are the house which He has built and and the argument is true. It it is true not only from common sense and from nature, but, but here it is declared to us that Jesus is the builder, Moses is the servant, but the house itself reflects the glory of the Master. We are the house which Jesus built, the house of His people, the kingdom of God, the foundation of which Christ ourself is the chief cornerstone, and His apostles and prophets of old are the foundation on which every one of us are built by faith into His church. Oh, we reflect the glory of the Builder. We shine and give Him glory, which He first gave to us. And in that, we have an amazing role to play. He has the glory, and and yet He shines that glory on us, and and we reflect it back in love to Him and the Father. The same kind of function, the the same kind of privilege of of mutual love and, and mutual indwelling and glory that there is in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is something of an echo of that in our lives. We, we are blessed. We are blessed by a mediator who is, is able to save us and, and a mediator who is able to change us and, and build us into something much more glorious than we ourselves could ever hope for. And so we then live in, in the presence and in the fellowship and, and in the joy of the triune God. We shine. We shine our glory back to Him that all the world might see the love and the joy and the peace and the patience. These qualities which come from outside of ourselves, they they come by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, poured out by Jesus Christ who is the glory. And so because of His great work in us, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews can say of us as he does in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers. Holy brothers. Holy brothers and sisters. Now I could be naughty and ask you to look to your left and look to your right and tell me if the word holy fits what you see. We are sinners. But as sinners who trust in Christ, if indeed we do, if we trust in Him, we reflect His glory, He makes a difference in us. And yes, He takes us on a great journey. He changes us moment by moment, day by day, month by month, year by year. By the hand of His his great providence, He raises us up and He casts us down in our lives. Sometimes we're so far down that we think we're below the bottom of the barrel and there is no hope for us. But that's to teach us that our only hope is in Christ. There's hope in no other. And He raises us up in Him. If He gives us that faith, if if we trust in Him, if we turn away from our sin into Jesus, He lifts us up into the very heavenlies. And so He takes us on a journey of greater and greater sanctification and holiness. 
We climb the mountain of Christ-likeness one step at a time, day by day. Yes, sometimes slipping, sometimes falling back a bit. But His hand always catches us and He pulls us forward until that day when Jesus comes again and lifts us straight there. But that's not just what the author is here implying. Yes, he's implying that, but something even more beautiful. At this time, in your life, believer, with, with all of the, the dissonant sound of, of, dis, of ungodly thoughts and actions and, and life, still, if you trust in him, he calls you. He labels you. He makes you wear a big 10-gallon hat that says on it, Holy. He declares you to be what you are in His Son if you are united to Him by faith and by the Spirit, trusting in Him alone for your salvation. He calls you Christ-like, a holy one, a son of His heavenly Father by adoption indeed. And he says, heaven is yours as well. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He says we have a heavenly calling. He says that the earth is not just ours. The earth is not just our assigned place, but that our feet are in heaven because of our union and communion and fellowship with Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is our ultimate goal, our ultimate home. This is not our home. Heaven is. And we look and long for the day when Christ brings heaven down to earth and we will live with Him forever. And in the meantime, He knows our weakness. In the meantime, He knows your frailty and the temptations that you face. And He does for you what you cannot do for yourself. He goes into the kitchen And He takes that wonderful marriage feast of the Lamb that you will one day enjoy. And He snitches just a little bit. He carves just a a little bit off that brisket. and He he puts it on an hors d'oeuvre tray and He gives you a taste, a, a sample, an appetizer of what heaven will be like forever with Him. He gives you moments of obedience that are beyond your attainment. He gives you samples of Christian love, even for those that hate you, or worse, just ignore you. He gives you love for them that you could never conjure up in yourself. He gives you a foretaste of all the glories of heaven to come and and full Christ-likeness when you will be changed, when you see Him in the twinkling of an eye, resurrected with a better body than you have now and a more pure soul than you have now and with eyes to see the uncreated light and pure glory of God from heaven. Oh, you have a heavenly calling my brother, my sister, if you were in Christ. Because Jesus built you. He, he took you. He 
fashioned you and formed you. He saved you from your sins. And He has built you into the very house and temple of God. So the author of the epistle to the Hebrews then tells us that we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so after painting this wonderful picture of the apostle and the high priest of our salvation, he then speaks to you about your life now and tomorrow and in the days to come. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews under inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, you must hold fast to your confidence in Jesus Christ our Lord. You must see Him for who He is. You must trust Him. And you must never take your eyes off of Him. Never waver in your love for Him. You must be single-mindedly devoted to Him, always keeping your eyes on Jesus through thick and thin in this life, and He will see you through to the end. Hold on to Jesus, He says. And you know the beautiful secret is that the only way you can do that is if He's holding on to you just a little bit faster and a little bit harder, sure. It's like a child who's told to hold their mother's hand. The child can't hold a mother's hand or finger strong enough to hold up their own weight. But mother takes their hand and envelops it in her own and she carries them all the way safely through. Oh, our perseverance in the faith. Is it not founded on God's preservation of us every step along the way? It is to that kind of dependent Christian living that we are here in the text being called to hold fast to our confession, to hold fast to our confidence, to hold fast to our Savior who holds us better still. And so then he quotes from the Old Testament from Psalm 95, one that would have been in the mind and, and in the heart of every hearer. They would have sung it countless, countless Saturdays before and Sundays after the resurrection. And there they hear those memorable words which call them to listen and to remember and to not harden their hearts like their forefathers did in the wilderness before but to always and continually through the rest of their lives have a heart open to Jesus, looking to Him who alone is the Savior of sinners like you and me. As we come to this table, I call you in God's name and on the basis of His Word to consider Jesus. You need to look to Him Perhaps you have not confessed Him yet. Perhaps you have not seen Him for who He is and confessed Him before His people and so joined them in fellowship around the table. In that case, you keep looking. and You keep listening. You watch what happens here today because what happens here today is a blessing of God, a means of grace, a means of comfort and assurance and strength. And you will be able to see the people of God looking to Christ alone for their salvation. But if you trust in Him, 
if He is yours by faith and by the Spirit, if this table is a a place that you have been told to bring a chair up to and to join with us in faith, then you trust in Him as you chew and you trust in Him as you drink. You look to Him who alone is able to feed your soul and guard your life and give you everything that you need for Christian living. And as the author of the epistle to the Hebrews assures us, you will see His glory and you will feel it too as you trust in Him. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for sending an apostle and high priest so perfectly suited and fitted to our needs. We thank You for sending one who is the builder of Your house and so He has the glory ultimately. We thank You for sending servants to that house, even like Moses. And we do ask, O Heavenly Father, that the mediator between God and man, the one mediator, Jesus Christ, in ministering Your Word to us, might draw us ever more closer, closely to Your side. This we ask in His name. Amen.